Now, Father, I pray, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. May your word be spoken and your word alone received. For I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. My sermon this morning is about perspective. My point is perspective matters. Our perspective matters. How we see things, how we look at things, it can make all the difference. After our second child was born, Becky, my wife, had uh, life-threatening complications from the cesarean section she had. She nearly died. She came with a, an eyelash of expiring on the operating table. And that event changed our lives forever. It changed our perspectives. We, we were 29 years old. We were instantly past our childbearing years. But more than that, it began to make us think about what was important in life. We realized all of a sudden that we weren't uh, immortal and invincible, that life could end in a heartbeat. It could be over tomorrow. And we started to think about what was important in life. And we started to look for meaning. We started, we called it looking for a church. We were really looking for the Lord. We didn't have the words for that. But it changed our perspective. Maybe you've had a perspective change in the last couple of weeks with Hurricane Florence. I know I have because I was feeling a little put upon, you know, the power kind of flickered on and off, and uh, we got a little rain, and the wind was blowing, and then I, I watched the videos of North Carolina, and my perspective was altered. I went from feeling a little put out with the storm to feeling greatly blessed that it had passed us by, and so sorrowful for the people that got hit so hard. Perspective matters, doesn't it? How we think about things, it affects how we feel and how we react and how we make decisions. And I'm on about this this morning because our passages this morning, what was read to us, each of them is all about perspective. And I think they have one critically important point. Actually, you can tune out the rest of the sermon. This is my point this morning, <laughs> just to warn you. We need God's perspective. That's the perspective we've got to have, you and I. If we want joy and fulfillment and peace in this life and life eternal, we need God's perspective. I don't typically refer to the apocryphal books in sermons. That's our reading this morning. It's from the Book of Wisdom, which is not in our Bibles. It's, it's an apocryphal book. It's in the Roman Catholic Bible, but not in the Protestant Bible. And our Book of Common Prayer says the Apocrypha, there are, there are 13 or 14 books, they're to be used not as a source of doctrine, but only for instruction in manners and illustration or example of life. And so I don't typically preach from them. But this reading this morning from the Book of Wisdom is consistent with the scriptures that were read to us from James and the Gospel and also the Psalm. And so I want to mention it. You can check me on the Apocrypha if you want to. That's Article 6 and the Articles of Religion. And who can tell me where to find the Articles of Religion? Uh, never mind. It's in the Book of Common Prayer uh, somewhere. Uh, you can find it in the historical documents. It's important reading. But at any rate, the author here is saying, in a nutshell, that the ungodly are foolish. They're stupid. Because they have a worldly perspective which is wrong, it's dead wrong. What's their perspective? Their perspective is that this life is all there is. There isn't anything coming after this, so let's eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die, 
Let's maximize the pleasure that we've got. And how do we do that? Well, we have to have power to do that. And so they say, let might be our law of right. Does that sound familiar? Might makes right. That's Nietzsche, right? 2,000 years later, just quoting the Bible. Might makes right. They're quoting the Apocrypha anyway. So they say, these people with the wrong idea, they say, well, we can oppress the weak and the widows and the poor, and that'll produce more gain for us. The author here of Wisdom says they've made a bad mistake. Their wickedness, he says, blinded them. God is real. This is the very last sentence or two of that reading. He has rules. He has laws. And there are wonderful wages, great wages for holiness and an eternal prize for the blameless. In other words, their worldly perspective, they have a worldly perspective and not God's perspective. And he's saying to them they've lost their eternal rewards. Perspective matters. And a wrong perspective has bad consequences. Our psalmist this morning is making the same point. The arrogant, he says, the ruthless, those with no regard for God, for God's perspective, they've been against me. They tried to kill me. But there is a God. He's my helper, the psalmist says. He sustains my life. He rescued me from all trouble. He ruined my foes. Perspective matters. It's a matter of life and death. James today is all about the dangers of a worldly perspective. James calls it friendship with the world. It's a perspective that looks at the stuff of this world as though that's what's important. That's what counts. That perspective, James says, leads to all manner of ill. It leads to jealousy, which is wanting the stuff that other people have. It leads to selfish ambition, which is trying to get more stuff at the expense of other people. It leads to wars and fighting and hatred and murder, he says, all of which is just to get more stuff. And it even ruins our prayer life, James says, because it turns our prayer into just asking God for the stuff of the world and asking with wrong motives so that we can enjoy it more. James says this perspective, well, it's not neutral. It's, it's consequential because it makes us enemies with God, he says. It puts the world and the stuff of the world over God and over his plan for us and how we use the stuff. And it's pride. It's a prideful attitude because it says, I know better than God what I, what I need, what I want, and what I should do with it. God's perspective is different, James says. God's perspective matters. And it matters all. God's perspective is that he, James says, yearns jealously for us. He yearns for us. He yearns for our hearts. He yearns that we would adopt his perspective about the stuff of this world, that it all comes from him anyway. It's all his gift to us. And that we will have what we need and what we have it for is to share, to help take care of others, to give it away, to share it along with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's a perspective of humility which James says brings God's grace while he opposes the 
25. And then finally, in the gospel lesson, we see the disciples exhibiting an amazingly worldly perspective, and Jesus setting them straight. In the context here, the scripture started this morning by saying, and, and, and they left there and went on. And what did they mean? Well, they, they left. They had been on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John had been on the mountaintop with Jesus, and they'd seen his glory. They'd seen him transfigured. He, they'd gotten a peek at his eternal glory. And the voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, listen to him. And Elijah and Moses show up and pay honor to Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are basically utter, rendered speechless. They're, they're, they're left with nothing to say. And they come down the mountain to a village where the other disciples have been waiting, and they have failed, the other disciples, miserably. They have not been able to deliver a boy from a demon. He's demon-possessed, and they haven't been able to help him. And Jesus rebukes them. He, he scolds them. He's, he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long am I going to have to put up with you people? And that's what precedes our lesson this morning. They go on from there, and within a day or two, I don't know, they're walking along the road, and what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest. Can, can, can you see the irony? The greatest at what? The greatest at misunderstanding the transfiguration? The, the, the greatest at failing at exorcism? Jesus rebukes them. He does it gently, but he's saying to them, basically, they've got the wrong perspective. They're into a worldly perspective. They're into just what James has been, is writing about, jealousy and selfish ambition. They're, they're arguing about who's got it better than the other, and they're, they're fighting, they're near fighting because they didn't get what they wanted. They're focused on the, the stuff of this world, the honor, the, the trappings of being a disciple. Since that's not God's perspective. You're looking at human pecking order. God's pecking order is different. God's pecking order is the reverse. Those who would be first need to be last. Last of all. Servants of everyone. God's perspective is that true godly humility is what counts before God. It's what gives us favor in his eyes. And he illustrates this by receiving a little child, taking a little child in his arms. And he says, do the same. A little child in that culture was a person without rights. Everybody in the, in the Roman world had rights except children. Children didn't have any rights. They had no legal standing. They couldn't go to court. There was no child protective services, no laws that governed the treatment of children. And Jesus says, put yourself even below them. Honor those who have nothing, no rights at all. My point this morning is simply that we need to have God's perspective. Which means we need to know our place as God sees it. And what is our place? Well, if we know him to be our creator and pure, and holy, and righteous, and demanding righteousness of us, then we will know ourselves to be the least, 
the latest, the last, I mean, and the, and, and the dirtiest, and the ones most in need of his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. That's his perspective. And if we can embrace that perspective, then can you see this? We don't compare ourselves to one another. There's no point in that. We just compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we, we see his perfection in, in obedience and holiness and purity, and we can compare ourselves to that. And the gap is so huge that our differences amongst ourselves is insignificant. It just fades away. Jesus says, to be first, we must be last. We must know ourselves to be last. And if that's not our attitude, if that's not our perspective, then we've lost perspective. We've lost the way God sees the world. We've lost sight of God and of his standards and of our utter failure to meet his standards, to be the holy people he calls us to be. That's seeing ourselves from God's perspective. It is to know that all the good that is in me is from him. It is to know that he's given me all that I have, that I have no claim of right before him. And it's not an optional perspective for the Christian. It isn't one good idea among many. It is God's perspective. It is who we are. And it is the start of a path to eternal life. And you see that with me, that that is the only place from which we can receive what God has to offer, is to know ourselves to be needy, to be the last, the least in holiness. So, how do we get there, you and I? How do we get down to the bottom rung on the totem pole? How do we stay there in a world that tells us to make the most of ourselves, Celebrate life and get all you can get, and the one with the most toys at the end wins. How do we, how do we stay in a position of humility? In short of a life-threatening catastrophe, I think there's only one way, and that is to stay as much as we can in the presence of the Lord. We do that in His Word, reading the Scripture, dwelling on the Scripture. We do that in prayer. Spending time with the Lord in prayer, in Christian ministry, serving alongside of others, in worship on Sunday and on our own. The only way to know the reality of a person is to spend time with that person, whether he be human or divine. And in God's presence, that's where we begin more and more to know him, to know his holiness and his purity, and to know his love and his grace, and his mercy. It's there that we begin to see ourselves as we really are, as we compare ourselves to him and his standards for us, and then to be utterly humbled by his grace and his mercy and his love for us, and he would save the likes of you and of me. And then in response to that love and mercy, to begin to live and love and serve out of the abundance of what he's done for us. So it is my prayer for us, for you and for me, that we would have God's perspective, and that we would live out of that in loving service to others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.
for your word and thank you that you tell us in your word who you are and you tell us who we are. Help us, Lord, to know the reality, the truth of your word and to accept your, your love and your mercy and your grace toward us and the gift of your Son. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.